Hello, welcome to episode number 314 of the Applelog Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by AIXDSP.com. Get affordable and useful plugins for your digital audio workstation, or duh. You'll know what I'm talking about if you're a audio guy. Get the IC Intuition Compressor. It's a compressor that gives you a clear and intuitive visual display that shows exactly what is happening to your audio at all time. Click the link in the description for more information. If you want to support my work on a monthly basis, go to patreon.com slash Pledge as much as little as or as little as you, you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees, and you can cancel at any time. Go buy something from the shop, uh, appalogue.ca slash shop. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and view on iTunes. Give it five stars, please. Not four, not three, not two, not one, five. You can say mean things, but give it five stars because that'd be funny. Like and share on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Pod. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at SimonHead666. Today on the show, I have Mr. Aaron Pendergast, who is the director of the Blasting Room documentary. Uh, the Blasting Room is a recording studio that's based down in Fort Collins, Colorado. It's uh, founded by members of the Descendants, mostly Bill Stevenson, who also back in the day played in bands like All. Uh, he played in Black Flag. Blasting Room is a very famous place for indie punk rock music and rock and roll so many bands have recorded there. Aaron actually is was just, as we were talking, just got their funding. Over a month, they got their funding to finish the movie. Started already. And as a documentary kind of making guy, I can empathize with that plight. So Blasting Room will probably be coming out later, around this time next year. And I got to talk to Aaron. And thanks, Mike, from Earshot for setting up this interview. It was very, it was very good. It's nice meeting people who are super into something like this. And... Ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Pendergast on the Apolog Podcast. Doing a documentary is not easy. I, I, I know that. Yeah, definitely not. And I, I, this, so this would be my uh, third feature film, uh, The Blasting Room. So I've done a couple of them before. This is my first time directing one. Um, and uh, it's, been, it's been interesting. You know, um, the, I produced the other two. I was part of the crew and editor on those. So I've, I've done you know, quite a bit of this work before. It's not, it's not all new. But every film brings its own challenges to the table. You know, this one's been especially difficult just scheduling with like bands and, you know, musicians in general are kind of hard to, to pin down for things. And, um, and then with COVID happening during most of the production as well, it's been a, a very uh, interesting task to try to make it all happen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I answered your question. I'm sorry. It's totally fine. Um, <laughs> it was a weird start. I, I kind of got lost. I tongue tied myself. Um, you know, for seven years of doing a podcast, I should be better at what <laughs> I've been doing interviews for 12 for like interviewing people in documentaries and I still mess it up. It's... I tell you why I'm, I'm really, I just took on this project, uh, but there's a Canadian band up here that I'm working, I'm t working at getting a documentary put together. And I started the whole process myself. The band sort of came up in a DIY atmosphere. So I'm trying to keep in that same line of just doing everything I can by myself and it's really challenging and like and i already know like if i ever get to do another one there's gonna be a lot of changes it won't just be me with the burden like i've flown to vancouver and calgary all over canada I've traveled everywhere and um i'm shooting it i'm recording it i'm editing it i'm you know interviewing people except for a few like i had to get some i have a guy in europe i had to get interviewed it is hard it's really hard it definitely it definitely is. Yeah. Especially when, you know, most of what we've done has been minimal crew, right? So in a lot of cases, it's me and one other person or me and a couple other people, but it's usually like four or less uh, mm -hmm. humans on a, a set, you know? And um, like, it's weird even just having one other person, right? Because when you're there by yourself, there's always like the times that we had to shoot solo. It's like, oh, the audio levels are too low or the focus got soft or because you can't keep track of all of it. Right. So 
it is. I mean, it's it's very challenging to try to do it by yourself. And I've I've done a few, but I don't ever like doing it that way. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was like I kind of I've been editing video kind of just on a with my work very very occasionally. You know what I mean? It's just been like the longest thing I did was like half an hour long. But I'm like, you know, I mean, I'm an hour and a half of content. Love actual. I'm 18 hours of content that's trying to get. It's whittled down to an hour. I still need three more, two more acts. Like it's like, I don't know how you manage. Like I've filled up a, a 20 terabyte drive, um, and it's <laughs> just managing, just managing the schedule as well as having a full time job. I don't know if you if you work a nine to five, but it adds to the pressure. It does for sure, and that that's something. Yeah, I mean, I. I, same as you it's like i'm working the 95 doing the film on the side on top of it um to your point about the footage yeah i mean i think we have something like a most of our projects end up at like a 35 to 45 to 1 ratio for minutes shot versus finished minutes <laughs> so it's insane yeah it's it's crazy it's, it's so much so much work so much to sift through and, yeah um and then especially with the interviews, right? Because you get so much great content, but you can only use yeah. like so much of it, right? Oh, yeah. It's tough to like... It's so funny because like there's going to be some very specific questions coming your way by, by about this once we get into it. Because, um, for instance, I have no idea what I was... I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't go to school. I, I you know, I knew I needed a nice camera, so I sort of bought a nicer camera. I bought a Blackmagic uh, Pocket Cinema 6K, which I'm only shooting in for because 6K would just be ridiculous. That's just absurd. And I didn't, I have a Final Cut Pro, so I actually can't, to bring it all around and try to make it all fit with 6K was like, I think I'll wait until I can understand how to use like um, the Adobe stuff or something. But I, um, <laughs> it's to be able to, um, yeah, like for the flow, like, so I have one question about questions. Um, do you put your questions sequential to every person like your that carries on your frame of thought or do you just say talk and then try to capture as much like throw a net out and then try to catch everything it's so i, I definitely have questions prepped because different subjects give you different stuff right uh we sat down with the reason and also by the way thank you for rescheduling so last oh no time. don't worry about it um, i completely forgot we were interviewing alkaline trio on friday during the day and it was going to run up right into this. So I was like, oh, I can't do both. Um, it's all good. But I mean, we, we sat down with Derek and he just, we didn't even ask a question. He just started talking and gave us like five minutes of usable stuff just off the top without even being primed. So some people are like that and you just get amazing content without having to try. And then other people, it's like, you're just, it's pulling teeth getting, you know, more than two word answers out. Yeah. So it's always good to have questions to kind of work off of. So if you can't play off somebody, uh, their responses and that but i try to keep it more conversational just kind of jump in and talk about things and keep it flowing because that's where you get a little bit more of like those natural responses and those really good pieces of content yeah i agree i agree i always sort of try to follow up there's been a couple where i i've let um there's a band called junior gone wild out in edmonton and i sent the questions to a, a guy i didn't first met and the problem was there wasn't a lot of follow-up because it's a lot of like hey here's a question and you go they give your answer and you're like, wait a minute, there's more questions you could follow up with. Um, the reason I like, cause I'm trying to make it so I can compartmentalize my questions. So when I go looking for the content, I can find it. The other thing I did is I got my mom to transcribe all the interviews. Like, do you have a transcriber? I do not. I used to transcribe for reality television and it was awful and I will never transcribe anything again. The actual <laughs> task or the, or the, the flow. Uh, the actual task. I okay, just yeah. hate having to do it. So I would definitely, if we could budget it, like if we had the budget to pay somebody to do it, it can definitely be beneficial having transcripts, right? So when you're looking for those kind of keywords and sound bites, you can find them more quickly. Um, but I haven't had that luxury a lot of the time. We don't have the, the budget or it's like, well, that's one thing we can cut and we'll just kind of, you know, um, go uh, or kind of scavenger hunt through interviews for content so. yeah you must make notes too based on the minute minute point so you can kind of like know where the other thing i was doing was putting markers in the session to go oh here's where he talks about this here's where he talks about that but for me i i actually found it almost cathartic to actually print it on paper and it's in a binder it's like 500 pages of just already of interviews that i've just been highlighting and you know kind of finding key phrases and words because um I don't I don't have like a do you have a storyboard you work from or do you sort of wing it like 
I usually, um, we work off of an outline. So we'll outline kind of what we think the movie's gonna be, and then we know kind of how to direct our questions based on that outline. And then when I get to the end, as I review the interviews, kind of to what you said, I'll put markers and things. And then on the outline, I'll mark like, you know, who gives us content for each piece of the outline. And then if there's a section that we thought was gonna go that we just got nothing for, I'll just completely take it out. And then from there, kind of determine like, okay, here's like, um, essentially, I'll, I edit weird. Uh, nobody else edits like I edit. Oh, well, there's probably a few people, but I learned the wrong way from somebody and I can't break the habit. Um, Me too. So I make a, like a timeline for each section of the outline and throw all the interview content that fits that section into that timeline. And then I just start like shuffling around and figuring out like how it all fits together. It's totally how so, I do it. Okay. <laughs> it's totally how I do it. I have, pro okay. yeah, I have projects where everything's there. Then I have sequences, which is the, like the, the parts of the content and then from there it'll go to I haven't got there yet, but then it'll go to the big cut where it's like I'll take com I'll compound it and put it I, eventually I think I'll when I get finished like ten years from now I'll be able to sort <laughs> of then take the segments and put it into the main timeline and then from there you can edit the compound clips as you go for to tighten it up. Right. Yeah. yeah and that's that's essentially how I do it too. And it just you know I guess to the point where visually I can see like a block of clips on the timeline and know or on the sequence or you know however you want to call it and like no oh yeah that's the bit where they talked about this you know it just starts mm -hmm. to become like visual memory more interesting than just, yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah um yeah yeah i don't know again i just a friend of mine who i don't think knew like the, the proper way whatever that is to use the software showed me how he did it and i just <laughs> did it that way and me too I can't break the habit. <laughs> yeah i have a friend that works on the amazing race canada and mm -hmm. he's been my Hey, what do, what do you do? Like, how do I do this? The first thing I told him, like, here's what I think I'm going to do. And you'll go, well, that's the way I wouldn't do it. I'm like, okay, but I can't learn the way you do it. So I have to go this way. And he goes, well, please don't ask me to edit any of your film. <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> deal. Right. <laughs> deal. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And I have a friend in Vancouver that makes movies and she's like, who's your editor? And I'm like, me? And she goes, well, you need a good editor. I'm like, well, I know, but... They're not cheap, man. <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, and that's the, you know, the, I guess like the good thing for me is I, the reason I got into filmmaking was editing. So like the directing piece was more of born out of necessity when I started at the film school, the kind of group of kids that I fell into all had their own editors, like people they used with, used for their projects. Yeah. So I needed something to cut. So I was like, well, I'll make my own movie and then I can cut that because I'm in charge. So I get to say who does what. Yeah. Um, and then from there, it was like with the, the first two features, the guy I was working with was the director. And I was just editing. So that was kind of nice to separate it. But, um, you know, I, I did kind of want to say, okay, I've directed some short films. Let's see if we can do that in the feature space and not screw it up. So, um, yeah. But I'm feeling pretty good about this so far. Was one of the two filmage? Is that what you're, you're talking about? or? Uh, no. So Kevin, my um, uh, fellow producer on this, he worked on filmage. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I worked on um, one film called The Buffalo King and another one called Floating Horses, Life of Casey Tibbs. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're both um, kind of American West stories uh, based in South Dakota. My uh, former partner on film projects, uh, Justin Kaler, he's from South Dakota. So these were two figures he kind of grew up hearing about from the area. And he always wanted to do stories on them. So mm -hmm. uh, we were working together. I'd done a few short docs. He wanted to make this feature and wanted somebody on board that had done a documentary before so we just kind of uh ran with it and did a couple projects together yeah it seems like um you know i've been running a recording studio like half my life and um back like 20 30 years ago it was almost it would be impossible to say oh i'll i, I can make a movie i'm gonna make a movie i'm gonna do that you know what i mean like it was the same, but 30 or 40 years ago with audio, where it's like, you had to go to a studio. You had to record in a recording studio. Um, and now it seems like it's possible. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, I think it's good. I think it bends the the, um, the art a little bit to say, well, people need to look at things a certain way to be able to tell the story they want to tell. And sometimes, like, real training isn't the way to tell the story. Sometimes you need to sort of find the story based on the fact that maybe you don't know where it's going. Like the, some of the best docs I've ever seen was that Wilco, I'm trying to break your heart. And they got dropped off their label like 10 minutes into the movie. Nobody knew that was happening, you know, and that's the best yeah. part of it. 
Definitely. And that's something every project I've gone into, I've had that open-mindedness of like knowing that things could change direction. You know? Yeah. Um, even the very first stock, I think I had one idea and then it kind of, it was, um, uh, the very first one of the short film about a, a buddy of mine that was a former Marine wounded in Afghanistan. We were going to talk about his experience of, you know, coming home and, uh, kind of the recovery, right. Getting the prosthetics and learning to walk again and all that. And, um, then we couldn't get permission to shoot at the Naval Medical Center where he was going through all of his rehab and fitting and everything else. So yeah. like, what are we going to do with this? And then uh, talking to his interviewing his team members that were with him at, in Afghanistan, they're like, oh, yeah, when we reviewed the footage, and I was like, wait, what footage? And they had all of this helmet cam footage they'd recorded in Afghanistan just on a hard drive. And so they gave me all that footage, so we completely changed the direction to just talk about the experience over there because we didn't have the content for the you know recovery piece over here. So it's, I mean, from, yeah, kind of day one, I've always had that mentality of, well, you pivot when you don't have the thing you thought you were going to have, um, you know, find the story as it unfolds. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great one up here. There's a band called Teenage Head that came out and it's like really cool because same thing. They, uh, the singer died a couple of years ago, Frankie Venom, and they talk about like, they're still doing shows, you know, and they, they just hit on this fact that one of the members has got real anxiety about playing in front of people, like real issues, you know? <laughs> And that mm-hmm. sort of was part of his whole struggle, his whole life. And as he got older, things got more complicated with it. And uh, it's a struggle for someone like him to get up on stage, even though it's a club. It's not like stadiums, you know. Like, so that, that that's also part of that story of like, huh, that's 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 an interesting. And the same thing, I came in with sort of an idea where I thought it was going to go. And so far, it's kind of going in the direction, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But um, mm-hmm. it's an interesting, it's journey, man. Like, I love it. It's like... You know, it's like writing a record that's, you know, an hour and a half long that has many, many points of view. Definitely, yeah. It's And then also just, you know, to keep it like a consistent tone and tie it all together and, you know, have it make sense. Um, it You know, it's hard to, to get out of your own head, right, and see that it it's working because you're yeah. so familiar with the content, which is kind of, I, I find myself, I take things for granted. I'm like, oh, yeah, this makes sense, you know. Then I have my wife watch it, and she's like, "What are they talking?" About? <laughs> and I realized completely. I'm just too far in my own head to realize that it's not not working. But. Yeah, I've been practicing with like trying to make some a trailer, you know, and that's kind of they have to make it compelling, you know what I mean? But same thing, like when they say he, she is like, well, they they don't nobody knows what I do, you know, I don't know, you know what I mean? So it's um yeah, man, it's the the idea. Now another question. This is very specific. Um. Do you get the bones of the story and then go for B-roll? Like, what's what's that type of process? That's a really good question. I, I think it's, um, I try to do a little bit of both, right? Like, if we're shooting with somebody and we can get B-roll, I like to just get what we can. But then also you're trying to make it fit, you know, your narrative. Um, in this case, uh, because we, you know, Kevin, the guy I'm working with, he's been working at the studio doing videos with fans for almost 20 years now. He's got tons of, archival footage that we're pulling from so we you know that's like the meat of it because a lot of bands like there were two big bands that were supposed to record and then the pandemic hit and they haven't rescheduled sessions yet so um excuse me so we're not getting opportunity as many opportunities to shoot new stuff but what i was able to do which was nice was like we had footage from when outland trio was in the studio in 2012 that i reviewed so when we interviewed them i could specifically ask them about moments that i caught in that footage right so i think you can kind of do it a couple of different ways if you already have the footage reference that for the interview and then if you need to capture it you can kind of look for those key moments in that and go back and shoot that if if you can but sometimes Mm -hmm. it's hard right because you don't especially for documentaries i don't like setting things up i like things to happen yeah naturally and catch them as they are right so there's some things you can't avoid you know and especially with the studio where i'm sure we're going to do some like setup things with sliders and dollies and things where it's like a nice just shot across the, the mixer and you know that kind of thing that you just kind of need for those filler moments but but yeah it's it's hard right it's hard to know what to shoot what you'll use and not overshoot right have so much yeah. b-roll and not yeah. be able to sift through all of it so yeah or go find things that might not even be part of the story you know what i mean like i'm finding old venues from calgary from 1992 and i found the address and now i'm like taking it into Photoshop to try to make it look like 
it looked like back then, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, hold on a second. This might not even be in the thing. Like, I'm taking a whole night here, making it look awesome. You know, even throwing, I threw like a little Easter egg because there was a band there called Field Day. So I actually threw Field Day in the like a street sign. So it looks like people like, oh, just, it's like ridiculous. Ridiculous. Like, what? Why would it, like a whole night <laughs> to edit something, you know, whatever. I mean, it's it's definitely like, you know, I found it's like, okay, because a lot of people now they're coming back, like I've given it to the band I'm working with, and they're like, hey, kind of let me know what you think, if it makes sense. And they're like, where are all the B-roll? Where's all the B-roll? I'm like, I'm not putting B-roll in there until I got bit. Like, I'm not, I'm not throwing right. it in. <laughs> exactly. No, that's, I do that a lot, too, where it's like I'll put in placeholders, and then I'll usually have other, like, filmmakers look at it and tell them. You know, this is very much a, a rough, rough cut, or even just a string out. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no B-roll. It's just the talking heads. Yeah. Just let me know if the story works. You know. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, a lot of people are they're like, oh, you're gonna put music in this, right? You're gonna put, the... and it's like, yeah, we are, but that it's so much work to do that right now when you don't know where it's gonna go or what you can see. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm. It's just, I know once I be able to put it into Pro Tools so I can actually do some sound design. Because I actually have done sound design and I've done scoring. So it's like, that's where I'm in my comfort zone. So I'm really not worried about like that part of it. Like, and I actually, I'm not mixing it. Like, I have a friend uh, mixing it from uh, on the other side of Ontario because it's like, I, ha- I can mix and surround, but I'm, I just don't think that's the thing. I think it's important for a music doc to actually really sound good and actually get somebody, you know, spend the money where you're supposed to, right? Like, and, exactly, yeah. uh, and you're, you're working on a Kickstarter. And because um, it started well, it was almost a month ago now. How how is it? How is it going? It's going really well. We've got like five five ish days left, and we're we're funded. Uh, we're a few thousand over our budget or over our goal. So it's amazing. Um, yeah. So we're it's it's really exciting. I mean, for us, um, we got so much more shooting done than I thought we would have before launching it. That most of the money's going towards kind of like you said the post stuff right like i'm getting a really good sound engineer to mix it because the music doc needs to sound good and sound is my weakest area with regard to editing um like i just you know there's a lot of things that i if i took the time i could probably learn how to clean up but the other problem i have is i do it so infrequently that i'll fix it forget how to do it and then the next time i have to do it i gotta find the, the tutorial again and updated <laughs> premiere and it's not the same anymore you know there's yeah. always something so yeah just getting it in the hands of somebody who can do it will be a yeah. much better result. Oh, for sure. And my big problem is is my voice is in it going, oh, really? It's like, fuck, I should just get my mouth shut. Or laughing. It's like, I, you know, that's the part that need. I'm, I actually put a little segment in to see if I could actually clean this up if I knew what I was doing, you know. And do you work in Premiere or Final Cut? What do you work with? I work with Premiere now. Yeah, yeah. I used to do Final Cut 7 and then they switch over to x and i did too i did i worked so. with when it looked like premiere yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that's i originally learned on premiere like way back in 2002 or 2003 okay so it was kind of going back to that like back to basic you know back to the thing i learned on but i i can't remember why the switch to final cut i think the film school used it and so i was like well i'll work with final cut 7 since that's what everybody else is using here yeah. and that way i can actually work with people on stuff and then um yeah just i didn't like x when they changed it so i was like yeah i could go back to premiere now it's, it's iMovie on steroids the the funny thing mm-hmm. you say it's funny you say that because my friend who i've mentioned before works on this um he worked on the amazing Ra- works on the amazing race canada i said what do you think of it because i was working in hd i think was seven or one before seven from 2006 that's when i first started getting into video editing and he goes, well, when you look on YouTube and children are giving tutorials on how to use it, that's when it, that's not really for pros. He's <laughs> <laughs> like teenagers are teaching people how to use it. It's like, well, okay, that makes sense. I, you know, and f- honestly, I, I like it for certain reasons of simplicity. You know what I mean? Like, you right. know, and, you know, and I think you can make it as complicated as you want when it comes to certain types of, for me, it was just keeping all the audio separated. So, like when I summed it out, it wasn't like all on the one track, you know. So I could split it right. up. And that's well, where I think you know, if you can make it work on anything, like I don't pass judgment on what you use to edit. You know, I, I personally don't like Final Cut X, but if you can, if you can use it, and make it work, then power to you. You know. Well, I didn't like it either, and then I realized, like, well, you know, I just bought it. The funny thing was, I mean, like now I'm going to get in trouble, but I had a pirated version of of Final Cut Pro up until like two weeks ago. I actually had to buy it. I was like, fuck, it was like $400. I'm like, 
Yeah. Okay, I bought it. I bought it. I'm in. I'm an adult now. You know. Yeah. No, that's honestly. I mean, most of my editing software for the majority of my, you know, time has been pirated software until the last yeah know, five years, and that's fine. I'm slowly like, okay. buying stuff. I had to buy Pro Tools again because I had a hard drive go down. I've been buying Pro Tools, but I used to work at a university, so I would get the educational um, cost on it. And then I finally had to buy it full, full, like full fare. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And it was like, I'm, I think I'm like, I bought a perpetual license because I don't believe, like I don't make enough money in, with my studio anymore to actually warrant owning Pro Tools. You know, so I bought a, right. a perpetual license, probably the last chance I'll ever get to buy it for and keep it. Um, but yeah, yeah. Did you work ever in, in Pro Tools much or is that? No, I've never worked in Pro Tools. Just, um, just in like the editing software and then the audio like adobe audition is yeah. what i've used for like cleaning up audio before that was audacity i think is what it was called back in the final Fantasy seven days oh, i remember audacity uh, <laughs> audacity is weird because you can't get the audio the audio is like buried somewhere yeah it's it's a weird like i would i figured out how to do some of the like patch fixes and kind of key things that have to do with audio that i couldn't figure out in the other software in there but it, it was always like not a great process it was more just so I could get it done. You know? Yeah, I worked at a university for ten years, and I have to. I had to, I what my job is to archive every performance in our little theater we were at, and I managed to put it on a timer using calendar. So it would oh. the calendar would automate and say, "Oh," and then Audacity would start recording, and then interesting. <laughs> yeah. So then and then it would stop. So I wouldn't even be working, and then I know that I would have something. But I, getting it out of Audacity and putting it in so I could actually put it somewhere. That's where the challenge lay, but it was free, right? So you couldn't like, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's and that's why I would do it, right? It's like, well, it's free, and I can clean up audio with it. So, yeah. And to that point, like I, you know, wasn't making enough money to justify actually paying for anything. So yeah, might as well. Yeah. So what? Where are you based? Are you in Fort Collins or? Um, I now I'm based in Thornton, Colorado, so just north of Denver. I grew up in Fort Collins, moved down here in 2009. Moved mm -hmm. um, down in this Denver area ever since. Yeah, I mean, so so how did you sort of get involved with the whole Descendants, like Blasting Room, Bill Stevenson? Like, how did all that come together? It, you know, it's it's funny. I growing up in Fort Collins, I always knew the Blasting Room was there. You know, and uh, especially just being a fan of punk music, like you you hear about it. Oh, the Descendants Studio in Fort Collins, and so it's just it it was in the back of my mind, right? But it had never been anything more than like, oh yeah, that's up there, kind of thought. And then I had done, um, I'd worked on those two feature films that I mentioned earlier with my friend Justin. And I thought to myself, okay, if I need to, well, back, backstory of that is uh, I tried to make a feature that was a massive failure and mm. said, okay, I need to figure out how to not do that again, like how to make one that's, that's more successful. And so taking a page from Justin's book, I said, okay, he went to, he told South Dakota stories they're kind of western stories he's a western kid he grew up on a ranch he rides horses he does all that so he kind of immediately had good favor with the people he was shooting with because they were like they had that immediate connection of like oh you grew up on a ranch great this is a western doc and we were from we're ranch people and so it all kind of clicked right so i wanted to do something like that i said if i'm going to make something it's got to be a scene that i'm a part of ideally in a place that i'm from so i kind of have like both the hometown kid and the you know, I'm part of your, your scene or your community um, aspect. And then it, I was watching Sound City one night and all of it kind of fell into place where I was like, oh, the blasting room. Like, that's Fort Collins. It's less than an hour drive away. I grew up there. I'm a punk rock kid. It all makes sense, you know. Um, so then it was just a matter of, you know, contacting the studio and asking them if uh, they would be interested, which I got a, not a no, but a, hey, we're not interested from, both bill and jason pretty much um again it was a kind of a like we'll think about it not again not a no but just kind of a i don't think this is going to happen situation and then uh we were shooting with a band called red sea radio from oklahoma city uh, at an event in denver and john snodgrass uh, from armchair martian and dragon river was opening for him so i mentioned to him hey if this thing ever happens you're very high on my list of people i want to interview for it and he got real excited and he's like, where, where are you at with that? What's going on with it? And it's like, well, I emailed them, but they don't sound super interested in it. And he's like, oh, I know, I know those guys. I just, I texted Bill this morning and he pulled out his phone to show me his text message with Bill Stevenson that morning. And 
um, was like, I'll talk to him. We'll, you know, we'll be in touch. So he gets all my info. And then he ended up putting me in touch with Kevin Kirchner, the guy who does basically all the video work for the studio and um, would be, you know, have to be involved if this was happening because he's got all the great footage and, you know, knows a lot of the bands from working with them over the years. Uh, so he put the two of us in touch and then it was just a matter of, you know, subtly nudging Bill towards making a movie about the studio in conjunction with the 25th anniversary that was coming up that year. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Long process, but we, we made it there eventually. Now, how, how did you get the, so to get the rights to all the music, like that's usually the most expensive part of something like that. Did a lot of bands just give it up? Um, it really depends on the level of band, right? So like yeah. rise against is a big band that's come out of there. So we're probably going to pay a lot of money for that music. Um, a lot of smaller artists will be, you know, more inclined to say like, yeah, you can use it. Or uh, what I try to do, cause I don't like asking for anything for free if I can help it is I may say like, for you know, festivals, that kind of thing. Can we just get it for free? But then if we get a distributor, we can go back and revisit licensing um, and have the distributor cover those costs that way. We can keep our costs down, but we're also trying to get them something if we can on the back end. A lot of what the Kickstarter for this was for is to help cover those licensing costs. We're hoping we just license it up front and move on. But you know, it's it's different for every every band, and I think they kind of maybe even do an a la carte thing because every time I've requested, it's always like, "What's your budget?" Or not a la carte, um, like a case by case, right? Like, mm-hmm. What's your budget? How many songs are you trying to license? You know, what do you want to use? They they kind of get all that information. So I think they kind of look at it and say, okay, you're trying to get 15 songs. You've got this much money. You're only using 12 seconds of this song or something. You know, they, they might get you a better deal than you would otherwise. Yeah. Um, that might just be me wishful thinking. I'm not sure, but um, <laughs> yeah. that is going to be a challenge. This one, I think, is the licensing piece. Yeah. I, um, I, luckily, the band I'm working with, he just gave it up. He's like, use it anything you want. So, I mean, that's the be- the best part of this <laughs> and he's uh the, the the guy i'm working with he's he's been very uh left-wing very socialist like he's like this you know i wouldn't have been able to do it if it was any other band you know because i went to the music station because like the you know the music tv station much music and i got their price rate their their price sheet and it was like holy fuck like <laughs> it's by the second and it's hundreds yeah. of dollars and yeah, it's crazy. our a hundred dollars an hour to go look for it because none of it's digitized and and i'm like okay well i can't afford five grand and that's just for canada and now if you want to try to go to america or north america wide and now into europe or asia the prices just keep getting more and more and more and more more. it's like well i could just go to youtube and get the thing that's there it's right there right (laughs) someone (laughs) uploaded it so why don't you go get them to pay for it because they got it from a vhs tape and put it you know, at least, you know, and this is a Canadian kind of a historic band from the early 90s, you know. So it's like, well, I thought they'd want to help in no dice because they're owned by Bell Media, which obviously is a major conglomeration that's tough to get, you know, anything from. So that's right. the end of that. I'm not going looking for, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I've been working with, um, I shouldn't say working with, but just um, speaking with a number of other filmmakers who've done music docs and have had gone through this before to kind of get any advice or insights from them on how did you do this or, you know, how was it affordable? Was it cost prohibitive? What channels did you go through? What was your average cost looking like? You know, how, how did you handle it? Um, so like Sean Kalan, who did the, um, uh, fat wreck, the fat records documentary. Oh yeah. 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 Um, he and I have been talking a lot. Um, I'm actually was just reviewing a cut of another doc he's doing the other week that I have to get back to him on. But, um, yeah, they. I mean, with him, it's like, well, it's a Fat Records doc about Fat Records working with Fat Mike. They probably didn't have too much trouble getting the music, but it's still worth the ask. Like, how did you guys make that work? Um, but we got really lucky with the Kickstarter. We have one of our perks is a compilation record uh, curated by the Blaster Room staff. Yeah, I saw that. That's it's vinyl too, right? Yes. Yeah, it's on vinyl, and um, we can't sell copies. Like, we can only use them as promotion for the Kickstarter. Um, so no like direct sales, but we were able to get all that stuff without having to pay any fees for it. So that was really, really nice of all the bands and labels to work with us and yeah. make that happen. So And did you find a distributor yet or are you gonna independently do it and how are you gonna do it? We're I'm hoping to find a distributor after the movie's done. Um that's another thing I've talked to Sean and Taylor and some other guys that have been down this road before. 
how they kind of were able to get theirs distributed in a more you know where they actually get some revenue because our first two features we we just kind of self-distributed and they never really made very much money and they just kind of you know went out into the world and yeah we saw some some good revenue for a month or two and then they just kind of fell was off, it hard so. copies or, or direct digital downloads uh those were hard copies yeah. that was early enough that the first one early enough that it was still kind of dvd like making blu-rays was still kind of unrealistic on an independent scale uh the second one we did dvd i feel like we should have had a blu-ray option too but um ultimately didn't do that so um but i also didn't see any any profits from that second film so yeah. i have no idea how well it did it may have made some money yeah, it's a tricky one thinking should like because i know if it's music fans like things in their hands you know what i mean so <clears throat> for me i i'm actually gonna there's a they have a pretty big fan base uh face pa- facebook page that i'm like if you were to buy it how do you want to buy it do you want to buy it as a dvd a blu-ray because i have found some fairly affordable deals online for places just to get them printed up you know what i mean like thousand minimum kind of place Right. I mean, relatively cheap, but I mean, as it goes, it's like, does anybody want a hard copy anymore? Would they rather just go to Vimeo and and rent it for a couple of days? Like, right. Yeah, it's hard to know. Well, and that's with our our other two films, our audience was slightly older, which is why we figured, well, DVDs are good because they're, you know, the whole streaming, downloading video stuff is not as common to that group. Um, or at least our target demographic for those. Yeah. And then same thing with the the Blu-ray. It was like, well, do they are they still watching DVDs? Do they have a Blu-ray? But I don't really know. So um, the funny the Blu-ray players are on like in PlayStation four and fives now. That's the funny part. I don't even think they're play, yeah. PlayStation fives, but uh, that's the only Blu-ray player I have. It's in my son's PlayStation four over there, and that's what we would watch it on if we could. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we bought a Blu-ray player because it was it was like a smart blu-ray so it had the ability to stream like netflix and stuff instead of buying a roku yeah um but it was we also had the playstation so it was like well we'll watch blu-rays on that and the other one will just be for the other tv in case we want to stream netflix to it or something yeah my I parents remember the last time i put an actual movie in one yeah i know watch me neither my parents <laughs> have one that does like everything like all like the different time like the different areas like that are like like japanese and British and those. Oh, like all the regions? The regions. That's what I was looking for. Region free. Uh, yeah, I think they got it from China. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the, um, it's, yeah, I mean, honestly, did you know, I mean, how, what was the most surprising part of like doing this? Like, like, what was the part that sort of like, was, was it surprisingly easy? What was, what was the most surprising part of this process for you? Hmm. That is a really good question. I think, um, I think the most surprising thing was like once the studio people like knew who I was and were comfortable with me, how just like quickly it would, I, you know, it's, it turned into, I could just show up at the studio and they're like, Hey dude, how's it going? Like, it's not weird if I just drop in and say hi, you know? Yeah. Um, cause I figured it would be this like, Oh, it's going to take a long time for them to be comfortable with me or for me to, you know, be like accepted as part of like the, you know, not that I work there, but just as like, you know, a, a face that comes in that they see and, you know, are not like, what are you doing here? Or why are you in here? Kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, I still try to give them a heads up if I'm going to drop by, but um, yeah, it was just, it was just weird. Like I thought it would be a very professional, like, oh, you, you know, you call us ahead of time, you show up when you're expected and that's it. Like nothing else, you know? Um, yeah. And we will, if we're going to shoot with a band, like we call ahead of time we make sure the band's okay with it the staff whoever's working with the band is okay with it um you know that kind of thing but if i'm like in town and you know need to drop something off or ask a question or something i can just kind of drop in the studio and say hi and yeah you know walk through whatever i need to do so that's yeah. been kind of cool yeah i love the story of that studio because i've known stefan since ni- the early 90s stefan and well stefan more than bill but I've known those guys, Carl and, and Stefan and I go back because I used to play in a band out of Toronto that we would play with them or around this area. And, and Stefan actually came up and produced a record for us in uh, 1991 or 1990. So I, I have a very long history. And when, when all got signed to Interscope that they had the money to purchase their recording studio, I thought, that's the best. What a great idea. Like, 
And that's sort of the model. Like people have done that now. Like Ben Folds did that. He he owns part of the. He, I don't think he owns it anymore. But he bought part of a studio in Nashville that was like an old RCA studio to make records in. And um, because all were always like that. They're like they had their own trucks and everything they had was painted gray. And it was like they just they were like this inspiration of band that was like just did stuff, you know. And then obviously Descendants before them, but. But when you see them rolling in on this big old school bus that's painted, you know, gray and all their gears painted gray, I'm like, wow, that's uh, inspiring. Definitely. Well, it's you look at it and I'm like, I don't know that I could ever do what they did, right? Like the fact that they were putting up drywall and like, you know, putting in ceilings and like all the work they did in here. It's like, I, I don't even know where to begin with that, let alone, you know, building out an entire studio space like that. And then they just keep getting people like Jonathan or new kind of like, studio manager um he came in and hey we need a new mastering suite he just built it like and it's one of the best sounding rooms i've ever been in and like how did he know how to do all of this yeah yeah there's people you pay a lot of money to design stuff and it's still not well the only reason you hire the guy because he's made a few others you know so everything you know you know it's when you're talking about sound city that that place is an anomaly because it's a square box that shouldn't sound as good as it does and so many great records are made in that studio and um like large studios are kind of dying you know what i mean and and blasting room has been around what 20 some 21 20 uh so their 25th was 2019 yeah so, so they've been around since the early 90s i remember talking because pommel was recorded there I think mm-hmm. that was the first album they recorded at that studio. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was Pummel. And I should know this timeline better. I'm making it. Ah. <laughs> it's a lot to keep up here. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember getting the sampler from that because um, where I w- lived in Winnipeg at the time, <clears throat> there was a record store that had that, that um, Shreen. I was like, oh my God, it's so good. Because I think it was Chad's first album, too. Chad, Chad's, uh, Price, um, Chad Price's first album. And uh, I was like, wow, it's so. F- it's so fresh. It's so good. Like, and Bill and Stefan were always like my favorite producers. Like, you know, and they did early Doughboy stuff and they did a uh, big drill car. Um, they worked with out, Al- you know, alkaline trio. It's like, it's this, this technique that is like, cut the bullshit, like make a great sounding record. And, you know, yeah. Inspiring. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. I love that. They just kind of get down to like the, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's really like torn down and they really just pull the best performance out of everyone that comes in there, you know? And that's what a lot of people were saying is they're like, you're playing for Bill Stevenson. You got You could be on you your game. Play well, you know? Yeah. So. There's a great propaganda clip. Did you get that? Where he's, he's, there's this interview he's doing where he's singing a propaganda song to an interviewer and he's, and they put the song behind it and he's Bill singing it exactly to the song. He's like, this song is so good. And he's singing because I guess they propaganda did a record down there too. They did, yeah. Which one? Um, It was. um, The one uh, after. um, City Limits. Uh, um, No, I can't remember. Anyways. Yeah, it's. I'm going to think of it. It's on my phone. I'm pulling it. I'm like, I know. know It was after. Yeah, because they worked with Ryan Green, Let's Talk More Rock. And then they did uh, a really good. Yeah, whatever. Uh, supporting cast. Yeah, supporting cast. Okay, but yeah. these Bill's singing the song in an interview, mm-hmm. and it's like if you can catch that, it's just so good because it's so Bill. And, you know, right. Yeah, it's so Bill because he's so passionate about it, you know. And and he had you know some health issues and got through it, and like you know, and there's actually stories like Stefan tells me like he's a better drummer now, now that he's had his his head worked on than he was, you know, twenty years ago. Yes. <laughs> It's crazy. Yeah, he's yeah, it's great. He's uh he's an interesting guy, you know. It's one of those I think um people who are that good at something, I feel like they're just like wired differently, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like I could never hope to be that good at, at anything, let alone, you know. Yeah. Like that thing that they can do. Um Yeah. Did you manage to, did you get in touch with Chris Hanna? Like would you be interested in getting him on the show? Is- I, I did. We've been, we emailed. Um, so funnily enough, when all the pandemic stuff started, we were like, well, we can't shoot anything because we can't travel anyway. Let's contact all the bands, get commitments, plan to shoot with them. So Chris was one of the people we reached out to. He expressed some interest. But then the U.S.-Canada border stuff has been so weird that we've just not really had 
um, the ability to go up there. So mm-hmm. I did write in the other day about uh, something else for the movie. I hadn't heard back yet, but if we can get them, we'd love to. It's just going to be a matter of logistics and travel issues and whatever else we can. It's funny you say that because I was trying to go out there to talk with John K. Sampson about the band I'm working with, and uh, he declined John K. Sampson. Oh, really? Because he's not doing interviews this this year or last year. Okay. So, uh, but I was also going to try to talk to Chris because I've known Chris. When I lived in Winnipeg, we actually would play shows together. Um, I played in another band called Red Fisher that would tour actually throughout America, but in like like 1993 kind of thing. And, um, Chris, yeah, Chris, and I know Chris, I know John, I know John Sutton was like my roommate from the Week of Ends when I was in Winnipeg. So I have a very strong connection. But the only thing I have from Chris is Twitter, and he got back to me once on Twitter. And I don't know I what, just, it just doesn't, repl- I think Twitter is just so complicated to get. I, I miss messages on Twitter. I only have like 200 followers, so I don't know how he does it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, geez. No, and that's something too, I think, you know, it's, um, you know, different communication for different people, right? Like people will message me on the Instagram for the Blasting Room film. Yeah. And I always am like, send me an email here because I am way, way better at emails and keeping up with those and remembering Instagram messages. It's like, I read it and then immediately forget about it as soon as I close, close the app. And, it, yeah. and it's like four days later, I'm realizing, oh, I told that person I'd send them a get back to him we never did you know so it's funny you say that my buddy uh, his name is mikey does a thing with a ukulele called mikey and his uke uh and he's done like a lot of he said a lot of people performing on his cover songs that he does and he's just the only way you can get in touch with people is through instagram people reply <laughs> and it's so interesting i was like i never even thought of that so i actually started trying like just out of like hey will this person get back to me even if i just some random person like just, right. they do it is weird, but uh, it's all a hit and miss, especially on Facebook, because I'm trying to re- the, me- meet people over Facebook, and people sometimes don't go to Facebook. Like they'll be off Facebook for like two weeks, and you're like, and then you get them, and they're like, get back to you, and you're like, oh great, let's set something up, you know? Because I'm supposed to drive to Ottawa, which is like four hours from here, like this weekend coming up, and to talk to a guy, and I have to take my son back to college, so it's like this sort of like I'm trying to hook it up, right? And and the guy's just gone ghost. Because he hasn't checked Facebook, like, right? I should have a phone number. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's I. Um, I got rid of my Facebook about. Well, it was it was before the pandemic, so it's been a couple years now. Yeah, um, but I finally just had enough and just deleted the account entirely. So when we were doing the movie, you know, the conversation was had. Well, should we have a Facebook page? And I told Kevin, I'm like, you're welcome to set one up, but I'm not getting Facebook back just for that. So yeah, you can run the Facebook all on the Instagram. It's a tough lady to leave. I tell you what, because it's like people I I've known the high school people I talk more to now than I did like 30 years ago. You know, so it is for me. It's helpful. So yeah. I can I can keep it at arm's length, and I also give myself a challenge. To post without the let without I or me in it. So if I post okay. something, it's about something. It's not about me or I think or you know I'm doing this or something. I try, and uh, I've, that that tends to work. And my Instagram is just pictures of my bicycle, so it should be my bicycle's Instagram because then right. <laughs> it's just pictures of my bike <laughs> in weird different and trails, different parts of uh, northern Ontario. Um, yeah, social media is a funky one, man. Like, and it's tough to. Um, stuff to manage and i just was listening to a podcast today where it's like there's two billion people on facebook and they don't know how many people are real like on oh, facebook <laughs> right a lot of duplicate accounts or dummy accounts just or, russian you know, troll farms yeah and yeah. people trying to show up like like you know obviously trying to somehow create havoc in society mm-hmm. and it works man like as soon as you read something about someone who's anti something or or pro something, you're like, how? Why should we be? Can we have more pictures of food? Can we just do that? Right. Yeah. Can we? Can we go back to those? I miss those. Days. Can we go back to the humble brags where it's like, you know, I'm right. so tired. I have to fly to Vancouver, like that type of stuff. We need more right, of that. Yeah. I love that. Check it. Checking in at the airport. Yeah. Can, I'm okay. Not flying somewhere if you don't check in at the airport. Like. <laughs> I'm safe. I'm safe right. from the something that's happening 500 miles away. I'm okay. Right. <laughs> just letting you know right yeah, yeah more of that need, we need more of that definitely <laughs> man so do you have a release date um we don't have a hard release date we're shooting for i would like to have a a solid cut by the summer to maybe get um some roughs into festivals so we can have 
finals for you know maybe festivals happening in september october right and then we'll do kind of our like official you know the kickstarter fulfillment is november so if we could get copies of the movie out to people by november of next year um that'd be great but um you know if we haven't been able to screen the film yet or premiere it yet that might get pushed i'm hoping we won't have to though because i'd really like to just get it out to the backers and then get a distributor figured out yeah you know, get all that done how 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 many uh like how how long do you give yourself before it's like to prom- to present to festivals like that's something i have no idea but i do realize in canada alone there's like 30 different documentary festivals in variant type of like importance you know right that's for me so when when we do releases we try to look at um festivals in places where there are people interested in the movie that we have right so for floating horses for example we played like 20 something festivals um because we targeted parts of the country even in canada they've got a a large rodeo community so it was parts of canada where there's a rodeo community or large western community in southern states here um that sort of thing where they because for you know the festivals they want to get butts in the seats right so if they've got something that their community is interested in they're going to come out to the festival to see it so um it's a lot about just targeting like what's the content your film and what kind of so you know even just beyond documentary specific festivals but for us and the punk rock stuff is it you know parts of southern california is it boston new york and places where they have a good punk community that's kind of where we want to hit um to kind of have a better chance at actually getting uh, selected and screened there mm-hmm. and then for some some festivals uh they will take not all of them but if you have kind of a a fine cut or an almost finished cut and you want to make their deadline you can submit that as long as you'll have the final ready for the actual festival uh, um then yeah. you can kind of you know work with that and i i found for me personally um having a festival deadline that's something i really want to play to um to shoot for helps me stay on target to getting things done right interesting so, yeah, yeah yeah no i get it for sure then it keeps you i had another question about like how much time do you devote a week to this oh <laughs> that is a good one it 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 varies right yeah. like some weeks it's more than others um with the kickstarter going it's been like every free second i have has been doing something for that um but as soon as that closes i'll probably slow down a little bit um but it's uh um, you know during the pandemic we could take our time a little bit more because harder to shoot harder to travel all that stuff so it was really spread out um i think as we once now that this kickstarter is over and we actually have like you know deadlines and, and things we have to get done for people I think we're going to, it's going to be a lot of that. Like as soon as I'm not at my day job for the day, I'm going to be working on this all night and all weekend just to keep up with it. But it it definitely ramps up when you get closer to closer to the end. For me, I really love to see the final product. Right. So it's like, once I'm getting close to having a finished edit, it's harder and harder to pull myself away from it. Cause I just, you know, I want to see that scene finalized now. And I want to see the next piece finalized. Yeah. Now, do um, you so that gets do you work in acts, or do you sort of think of it as globally? Like, and how many acts would would a uh, would a uh, would the uh, blasting room be? Three, two. So I it depends on the project. So right. you know, from a storytelling standpoint, you should have three acts, right? Mm-hmm. As like your your main structure. Um, for the blasting room, the way I'm looking at it is, I'm trying to think of it like an album. So I have ten what I'm calling tracks to the film and i want each one to feel like um a little bit different but connected to the overall structure like a record feel right so one scene might be like cut a little faster and be a little faster paced and then the next one might be a little bit slower and you know so it's just kind of like finding this flow within each of those sections so that when you're watching the movie it almost feels like listening to a record which is probably some overly artistic bullshit but i'm trying it we'll see if it works <laughs> i uh i'm doing i'm trying to get sort of starts of se- uh sake se- sake se- um sequences i'm using this old cassette player and i'm writing the name of the the sequence on the cassette and i'll be putting the cassette in and pressing play that's my arty kind of like closest way of trying to um without trying to create too much division because it's my trickiest one is trying to tell a story without telling too much of the story. Like you need to breathe. Like that's one thing I'm learning now is like, gotta let it breathe. You gotta let, if you're moving on from one part of talking about something into another, you 
got to show that break in there. You got to give people that breathing room, you know? And there's one guy who's just the craziest, tells the greatest jokes. It's like, I'm trying to find spaces because I know it's going to be funny. I know I'm laughing every time I see it. It's hilarious, (laughs) you know, but there's moments of like trying to make it, just make it breathe and then trying to speed it up at certain points. It's, it's a true art. I mean, it's an art that, I mean, I bet you, you're probably like, ah, you know, it's like when stand-up comedians talk to people like, I think I want to get into stand-up comedy, you know, and it's like, "Ah." (laughs) I feel maybe that's a little bit, a little bit of that. When it's a guy like me, he's like, I I think I know what I'm doing, you know what I mean? I'm fumbling. (laughs) I, I, I give it like the, my, is like, I'm in a dark room and I'm just sort of pawing around for stuff and I'll find the light switch and the light switch is like, oh, now I know where everything is. And that's the completed act. That's my whatever you want my in the right. whole thing. I'm just pawing around. You know, I think, <laughs> what's that? Oh, it's this. Does it go with this? Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, honestly, like I especially with this, you gotta start somewhere, right? If yeah. You, if you've never done it before. I mean, that was the same when I was doing my first doc. And now I go back and I look at it. I just I hate so much of it because all I can see is the, oh, I, I should have done this. I could have done that better. I hate how this was framed. You know, it's like everything is just terrible about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, and again, it's like, I I know and remind myself, you got to start somewhere. You couldn't have known all this out of the gate, right? But yeah. I'm a hit and miss. Hard. Like I hit, I hit one shot where I was in this guy's workshop and it's just like, it's so visually beautiful. And I went, I don't know if you know, if you know who Art Bergman is, but I went to Calgary in the, in the country of Calgary. This guy actually is a very kind of popular Canadian, like punk rocker. He was in a band called the Young Canadians. Um, and I'm in this farm field and there's this, like, it looked like the Walking Dead set, you know, and, and it's so beautiful. But he said absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so I flew on a plane. I get off the plane. I rent a car. I go to his place. And he said this much to contribute you know like i don't regret it because the shot's so beautiful but the part is is it's gonna kill me when i'm like he doesn't say anything i can't put much of this in because it looks beautiful and that's to me the the hit i hit the shot and then the next day i'm shooting into the sun which is like the biggest mistake ever you know so it's like yeah (laughs) because i had no other choice you know yeah for sure and that's where like at least i think at least with documentaries like you get a little bit more um leeway because you know yeah. you are capturing something as it is as it happens you know you can't reset it you can't retake it you can't yeah. you know you, to me i'd rather catch it and have it be a little blown out a little too shaky than try to fix something and miss it because you're messing with the setting on the camera you know yeah yeah so. do you uh well what i saw the tra- the trailer looks brilliant like it looks so you know watching it even when you're watching it on youtube it's like so crisp and you know you guys have really you know I can't wait to see it. You know, it's going to be, you know, it's great. I love studio stuff like that. And it's Dave Grohl free. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> so far. Yeah. So far we were joking about that, that we're like, well, we got to have him now. Cause got to put a girl in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Oh. Yeah. That's been, that's been the tricky part with this one. Right. It's like most, like I've talked to the studio and I'm like, please tell me some women have recorded there and they just, there's like nobody. Um, you'll see bands like Bad Cop, Bad Cop is on their website, but they mixed and mastered uh, Warriors. Yeah. But they, they were never in the studio. It was just like they recorded it somewhere else. And the, the blast room got it for mastering. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. It's, not, it's not that they would be irrelevant, but they're not as as relevant as other bands are. We still would like to get someone from Bad Cop, Bad Cop, but we've so far hit a wall with that one. So Yeah. Um, what I liked about the Sound City is that the credits, Weezer's in it for the credits. They obviously said nothing. They're just in the credits. It's like, you know, Pinkerton is like their least favorite album was recorded at Sound City. Well, most, some of it was. And that's my favorite album. That's my favorite Weezer record. So I watched that and I'm like, what the fuck? Why are they there? Why weren't they in the real part of it? And I can imagine they're kind of weirdos. So it's like, hmm. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's it. We definitely had some people on camera before where you're like, yeah, this this doesn't, this doesn't work. (laughs) did you watch the series on HBO, the the studio? Because what kind of, I forget what it was called, but he traveled all over North America to look at other studios. I think it was uh, Sonic Highways. Sonic Highways. And then he wrote a song at the end of it. And I'm like, kind of lost a few credit points with me because there's some pretty on the nose lyrics, like the studio that's underground has underground in the lyric. 
in oh, the song. Yeah. It's like, it's like, <laughs> could try a little Maybe harder. a little too. Yeah, yeah a exactly. on the nose. And yeah. we watch it, and it was like, my wife and I watched it because, you know, I'm like, we're watching it like, he didn't need to say that, did he? You know what I mean? It was, it was like, yeah. But it's still, I love the fact, but they're actually in like Joshua Tree, and they're in like this, where all the Queens of Stone Age records were recorded and stuff. It's like, fuck, it's so cool. And they're hanging out with Joe Walsh. It's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Definitely. Yeah. But it's always interesting to see those spaces, right? Because you never know, like, you know, a lot of the music docs you see are like these big artists. And so you come in and everything is like nice hardwood and high ceilings. And, yeah. You know, and then you go into a place like the blast room. It's like there's carpet stapled to the wall. Yeah. You know, it's not the it's not this nice space that uh, you ex- you would expect to see that you get like a great sounding record out of. Right. So, you know, what's coming out in two days is actually that Beatles one. Oh, yeah. Get yeah, back is coming out about that. Yeah, it's going to be good. I watched it. I almost cried. I love the oh, Beatles really? that much. It was like, oh my god! You watch it, and it's so. I mean, they took there's un, there's found footage, right? Like fifty hours oh, that wow. they managed to tell another story about making that record. You know, so I I uh, I, I can't wait. This reason why we're getting Disney Plus, I think, is to watch that series of of movies. It's a three 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 episodes. But um, well. I won't take too much of your time, but I do have, I will have questions. So if you want to come back on the show, I'll probably, and if it's coming out in next year, mm-hmm. we should plan to do this again. Please Definitely, keep my yeah. information. Uh, I would love to talk to you about it because I'll probably be at the rounding up period of mine too. So I'll have more stories. I, I have questions like subtitles. Let's talk about subtitles or something. Right, yeah. How do you, <laughs> how do you do that? That's a whole other animal. <laughs> do you, who do you use? You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks, man. I, I really, I, you know, I, I appreciate it. Thank you for um, entertaining my questions and, uh, um, you know, good luck. And I'm, you know, obviously you're, you're on your way. You've got your funding and it's a really good project. I think it's going to, I, people need to tell these stories. They need to tell these stories because it could just go, think about those guys are so humble. They probably wouldn't tell the story. It would just right. fizzle away, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's what they they told us when we started it is they're like, you know, Bill doesn't like to celebrate himself or any of the stuff he's done. So like it was, you know, they had to drag him kicking and screaming into the 25th anniversary show because he just didn't. He was like, why, why do we do something for that? Because mm-hmm. it's important to commemorate milestones and things you've accomplished that yeah. it's OK to be to celebrate you know the stuff you've done. So totally. Um, Totally, yeah. and that's but your thank job. You. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. But as I say, thank you for having me on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, man, awesome. Yeah, like I said, always open door. Let me know. We can definitely. Cool. Yeah, I'd love to do it again when we're getting closer to finishing it. We can talk about the trials and tribulations of putting it all together and what worked and what didn't work. Amazing. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> and that was Aaron from the director of the Blasting Room. Documentary is coming out next year. All links will be in the description to get in touch. Maybe the Kickstarter's still going, I think. And give him some money. Maybe maybe he can buy a lens hood for his camera with the extra money you give. Thank you so much for listening to the show. It was a blast. Haha, <laughs> get it? Blasting room is a blast. That's so funny, Simon. You're so funny. Anyways, um, yeah, it was a good time talking to somebody who is in the business that I am trying to get into. So that was cool. It was like, you know, some specific questions that were, you know, that maybe people know. Like, it'd be interesting whether people know these questions or why I'm asking these questions. But regardless, it was fun to talk to somebody. Thank you so much for doing the show. I want to thank you all for tuning in weekly after week. And I think I'm coming up on eight years or seven years? Seven years of podcasting. Seven years, man. Got the itch. Seven year itch. Uh, yeah, it's been great. 314 episodes. Not so many episodes this year as I did the year before or the year before that. Slowing up. But I, um, I'm busy. Busy. And the podcast should not be, you know, it's not a money making adventure. So I'm doing it because I love to do it. And uh, yeah, so if anybody wants to support my work on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash Apple. pledged monthly. Help me out, man. Okay. What do we got next week? Oh, actually, I think next time will be myself and Lee McCormick talking about the Get Back documentary, which you might have heard earlier in this one, because we watched it, and I'm on my second viewing, and Lee watched it twice. He also hosts a podcast called Tramps Like Us Podcast, a tribute to uh, Bruce Springsteen, actually. So 
Uh, we had fun. We had a couple of beers. And we talked in his basement, and uh, he's actually doing one that's actually way more involved, way more produced. Mine's just us talking and shooting shit. So, uh, anyways, we'll we'll catch you on the next one. Okay, have a great week. Bye, yai. <laughs>